Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com. And on the free WSBT radio app, also a video feed, thanks to the Twitch app. My name is Darren Pritchett. Hope you're enjoying this beautiful, sunny day here in northern Indiana, southwest Michigan. Seven minutes after 5 o'clock. We've got about an hour and 40 minutes to talk sports with you on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. 6.45, we shut things down for South Bend Cubs baseball against the Colonels from Cedar Rapids. Hat trick of opening topics coming up in just a couple of moments. ESPN Power Rankings post-spring practice. They have Notre Dame number 13. We'll talk about that number later on this hour. We've got our Twitter question of the day. Coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, we'll talk to one of the voices of the South Bend Cubs, Brendan King. We will celebrate Mervis Day for Cub fans and talk about this South Bend Cubs team and the start they are off to in 2023. We'll wrap up the program with our Ask Sports Beat segment presented by Wings Etc. We asked you to write in some questions on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. We've got questions from Gene, John, Bobby, Sally, and Bob. We have some interesting questions along the way. It involves Notre Dame football coming out of spring. The best story I have with my time with the South Bend Cubs. This will be the first time I've ever told this story, so we'll get to that coming up at about 6.30. 
The odds of Notre Dame winning a national title, that's tough. The most difficult sport to broadcast, expectations for Notre Dame basketball, that's just a sample of the questions I'll answer. Ask Sportsbeat presented by Wings, etc. coming up at about 6.30. And then we'll turn things over to South Bend Cubs baseball after another sizzler. And we are sizzling right now. We can buy sizzler for a bunch of people right now listening to the show because 11-4-1 is my record for the month of May so far. And you go back to the last two days of last week, 18-5-1 is my record on Sizzler. Hey, April wasn't very good. March wasn't very good, but we're bouncing back here in May strong. We'll recap last night's 3-1 and night and come up with four suggestions for tonight. Coming up at the end of the program here on WSBT Radio. Before we start our hat trick of opening topics, this is just a random thought. But as the show was opening, I was watching video from on this date in 1973. It was the Kentucky Derby. And we're talking 50 years ago today, the historic gallop by Secretariat winning the Derby in a record time that still stands today, 159-4. One thing that I didn't know about that race, I'm not a huge horse racing fan, so this was a good nugget for me. Maybe you know this. But in that Kentucky Derby in 1973 with Secretariat just pulling away from the pack, to win the race in that record time. The horse who finished second to Secretariat in the Derby and then in the Preakness was Sham. And what I didn't realize is Sham's time in that 73 Derby is the second fastest Derby time of all time. So the only horse in the history of the Derby that would have beat Sham was in the same race Secretariat. So we could be talking about Sham as the greatest thoroughbred of all time. Picked the wrong year. It was Secretariat's year, to say the least. Get your favorite hat on Derby Day tomorrow down in the Bluegrass State. All right, let's get to our hat trick of opening topics here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Let's talk some football. We begin with former Irish pass rusher. Isaiah Foskey left Notre Dame as the all-time sack leader in program history. Well, Isaiah Foskey last Friday was selected by the New Orleans Saints, an NFL draft second-round pick, number 40 overall. So Foskey will hang out, hopefully by the bayou, for many, many years. Foskey has met the media, and the first soundbite we're going to play was Isaiah Foskey discussing the moment he heard his name called and becoming a member of the New Orleans Saints. It was just like emotion. You can't, you can't bottle in. You can't. You just gotta let it go. That's what happened. I, just family all around me. It just, I don't know. Like in that moment, you just gotta do what you had to do, and I just stood up. I like, I was about to run through that TV pal. I was like, I'm ready to go right now. Uh, you mentioned that this is a, 
team that you've, you've spoken to quite a bit. I know you went to the Senior Bowl. Did y'all have other conversations all throughout? And did you have a feeling that this might be on the way? This would be the team that you would hear your name? Yeah, so I, I met with them during a the pro day, um, doing a lot of uh, film work with them. Met them in the, uh, at the Combine, talked with them a bunch, did a whole bunch of Zoom meetings with them. So this is a team I talked to so much, fell in love with them, loved the coaches, started talking to them a lot. And just the vibe of the whole team is New Orleans. And I just, I, this is like the team I wanted to go to. I kept telling everybody, I want to go to this team. This is the team I want to go to. What was, it, what was it that stood out to you that made you identify the Saints as the team you wanted to go to? But just, I wanted to be underneath, a, not underneath, but like working with a vet like Cam Jordan. That's the guy that I feel like that's the, that's the Hall of Famer type of guy. And I can learn from him be a sponge and soak it all in, but like compete at the same level as him. I'd be trying to go on the other side of him or be him. So that was like the biggest thing I wanted to do, be underneath a vet, be with the vet. And New Orleans was a great thing. Yeah, Cam Jordan right there. That's Isaiah Foskey talking about becoming a member of the Saints. Not sure he said it clearly, but Cam Jordan was the individual he was referring to that he's going to be a sponge. Spending time around this veteran pass rusher, truly one of the greats, getting after the quarterback currently in the National Football League. More on Jordan in just a moment. Well, it's interesting. Foskey goes to the NFC South, where there are some interesting quarterbacks to deal with. Looks like Baker Mayfield will be the guy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers trying to replace Tom Brady. Uh, You look at the Carolina Panthers... They've got Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner from two years ago. Now, is he going to start right away? We'll have to see. You would assume he's going to play a ton this year for Carolina that actually has a really good roster. When you go to the number one pick of the draft normally, you go to a bad team with a bad roster. Carolina, their defense is in really good shape to compete right away. They just need to find the right guy at quarterback, and they sure hope They have found that in Bryce Young. And also, the Falcons, I'm having Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback. He's going to get his shot in Atlanta this year. So there are some opportunities to get some sacks in the AFC South this season. More from the former Notre Dame star, Isaiah Foskey, being drafted by the Saints. What are the Saints getting? And also... What could his versatility mean to an early start getting on the field in New Orleans? I just being myself, that's the best thing I can do is be myself. And myself is just being a great leader, being a sponge, being like learning from a guy like Cam Jordan. And that's just being me and just being a relentless pass rusher. That's the guy I am on, on the defense. And it just means a lot. Like the Saints pick me today, know they can put me anywhere. And they know I'm a disruptive type of defensive end. That's what I try to do. These sacks are not good enough. You get a sack, I'm trying to go for the ball. So they know that. They know I'm a disruptive defensive end. Get me on the field. I'll cause havoc. So that's what they wanted to do. So you draft me. They know you can put me inside, outside. You even put me at linebacker if they need to. When you heard some of the draft analysts after the previous season at Notre Dame, there was a need for Foskey to take his pass rushing skills to another level. His physicality, his athletic ability, Got him to the quarterback a lot at Notre Dame, but there needed to be more of an arsenal from Foskey making the step to the NFL. Not sure there was a major step last year. Now going to the National Football League, he's 
going to go up against terrific tackles week in and week out, and there is still that need, I think, for more weapons for Isaiah Foskey to get to the quarterback at the next level. And one thing that Foskey talked about in his media session with the Saints press corps, that martial arts is something that has come in handy using his hands against offensive linemen. It pretty much is because you're in the trenches. That's why I am in the trenches inside, and you're fighting against 300-pound guys. So I got I got to use my speed, use my leverage to my advantage. Because that's why I am. That's what I do. I'm a big guy, but I also have speed. So I pretty much yeah. You think of it like martial martial arts, but I think of it like boxing. Because that's something I started picking up and started using uh, using my hands a lot better. If you are an old guy or gal like me, you might remember when you were younger the NFL how the pass rushers used to be able to slap the offensive lineman in the side of the head to get by them. Can't do that anymore. It's a passing league. We want offense. All advantages to the offensive players, so you really have to earn it when you get to the quarterback now in the National Football League. And let's go back to that original thought Foskey had, the ability to learn from one of the greats right now in the game, getting to the quarterback in Cam Jordan. I feel like I can learn from him. I feel like just pass rush arsenal. Like, I'm not Cam Jordan. I'm not him. But I can learn through him and see what he can do. He can teach me moves that he's seen, like, my type of body, what I can do. Going through practice, just trying to learn from him, my pass rush type of arsenal, my go-to moves. I know my go-to move is, it might be different in the NFL. So I pretty much just want to learn from him. Well, the Saints have a defensive head coach right now. And Dennis Allen was defensive coordinator, took over for Sean Payton last year as head coach of the New Orleans Saints. What can the Saints get done offensively? Last year was their first season without Drew Brees. There were some tough moments. Now they have Derek Carr, the former Las Vegas Raider signal caller, has moved to New Orleans. Carr's one of those guys you pick up a piece of paper that has his stats, you're impressed. But there just seems to be something missing for him to become a winning quarterback in the National Football League. Now, maybe getting away from the Raiders is a major positive. There's not been a great winning culture with the Raiders for some time. They made the playoffs two years ago, but that's a rarity. Josh McDaniels, second year head coach of the Raiders, coming into this season, moved on from Carr. They now have Jimmy Garoppolo in Las Vegas. So you take away the guy with the flashy numbers and bring in a guy that's won a lot of games with San Francisco and Garoppolo, and now Carr has a chance to be a winning quarterback down in New Orleans. So some thoughts from Isaiah Foskey, the all-time sack leader in Notre Dame history, preparing for his future, and the future is now with the New Orleans Saints. The Chicago Bears rookie camp got underway today at Hallis Hall. Head coach Matt Eberflus spent some time talking to the media today, and he's got some interesting pieces on the offensive side to work with. They are giving some young players an opportunity to gain playing time this year. First off, let's say that a guy like Notre Dame's Chase Claypool will go through an entire offseason as a Chicago Bear. Did not have a great impact on the offense once he was traded from the Steelers to the Bears last season. No excuses. 
offseason in this offense, more time working with Justin Fields. Let's see if Claypool can make more of an impact this year with the Bears. And the Bears could really use him stepping up his competition level. But you think about the Bears in the draft. They picked up a running back from Texas. Not that running back, but John Robinson. He went number eight to the Falcons. But Rashawn Johnson was picked up by Chicago. And also a very interesting player in the fourth round. Really curious to see this guy on the field. Cincinnati's Tyler Scott has Olympic speed. One draft analyst believes that Tyler Scott has the makeup to be a guy like T.Y. Hilton a go-to guy for the Colts for many, many years. This could be a guy that could break open a game. Justin Fields' arm strength with Tyler Scott's speed could be a combination to watch in the Windy City. The Bears still have some veteran parts, but some young guys are going to have a chance to compete, according to Eberflus. Yeah, I mean, you know, we believe in all those guys that are currently on our roster, you know, those or they wouldn't be here. So those guys are all going to compete, you know, and obviously we believe in the guys we drafted. So when you start to increase your talent on your roster, the competition gets, you know, better and gets more. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's a healthy thing, you know, and uh, this NFL is all about competition. It's all about, hey, we're trying to get these spots and you got to compete for that spot. You know, and that's a message Peanut Tillman talked about today. You got you to be a fiery competitor to be able to stay in this league and to get in one of these seats. And uh, that was a great message by him. Well, one of the offensive weapons from last year is now playing for a division rival. Running back David Montgomery was allowed to move on. He is now a member of the Detroit Lions, although Jameer Gibbs was picked up by Detroit in the draft. So Montgomery probably going to take a back seat there in Detroit, but he got a three-year, $18 million contract. Pretty nice contract from a guy taken in the third round four years ago. Now, Luke Etsy entering his second season as the offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. Remember, he came from Green Bay to the Windy City to try to make this offense a big-time threat in the NFL. Justin Fields is a guy he inherited As a rookie, as you would expect, a lot of ups and downs and a lot of downs. Some of it had to do with a porous offensive line in front of Justin Fields. That didn't get a whole lot better last year. Better, but not significant. Not what you're looking for. Fields became a major threat running the football consistently for Chicago, causing headaches for defensive coordinators. And now how far can he bring his passing game in 2018? And 23. Well, Matt Eberflus, the head coach of the Bears, was asked today about some of his offseason discussions with offensive coordinator Luke Getze. What is he hoping to change? What is he hoping to see different from the Bears offense this fall? I think that, you know, when you have a year under your belt, you know, Ryan and I have a year under our belt, we got a chance to evaluate the roster and where it was. Let me correct myself. That's the wrong soundbite. We'll get to that one talking about defensive picks in a moment. But this is Eberflus talking about Getsy and their conversations tweaking the offense this year. Yeah, just the rhythm and timing of it, of the passing game. Obviously, the priority is the passing game. We ran the ball very well, but uh, we all know that we got to improve in the passing game. And part of that's rhythm and timing. That's the footwork with Justin. Um, he's been really working on that uh, really, really good, you know, in terms of the quick pass, drop back pass, movement passes. 
um, and he's really made some big strides in that in that area uh, coming so far in his, on his own, and then now coming into the phase two um, that first week. You know, it's really that, that's about it. You know, and then obviously acquiring the athletes that we have. You know, with, with DJ and Bobby and the different guys that we're going to acquire, um, we're certainly enthused about about those guys adding that talent piece to our offense. How, how do you think that personnel changes at wide receiver? I'm including Claypool in that because now he'll have a full offseason. You would assume that will be a different player than you had last year. Right. Yeah. I mean, just just optimistic, you know, really optimistic about it. You know, looking forward to getting them together. You know, right now we're doing routes on air and stuff in the phase two. Uh, so it's pretty cool to see those guys, you know, throwing catch together. And but we'll see when we start playing, you know, playing against defenses and all that. But uh, when you just have add athletes, you know, the guys that can catch the ball well and that can create mismatch problems. Uh, with Claypool and Bobby and the guy and DJ and all those guys that we have, um, it's only going to be better. Yeah, DJ Moore, part of that trade with the Panthers that allowed Carolina to move up to the number one spot. Bears went back to nine, then on draft day moved back one more spot to ten with that trade with the Philadelphia Eagles, and eventually the Bears made that first round pick at ten. And this is something that's going to help the football team. This should be an absolute plus for this squad as they took Tennessee offensive tackle Darnell Wright at number 10. You flip on the film of the Tennessee Volunteers taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide in Knoxville at Neyland Stadium last year, and Wright stood out as he did a terrific job of the guy taking number three in the draft by the Texans, Will Anderson. That was some pretty impressive tape. Wright doesn't look like he's going to be a left tackle in the future with his size and strength looks to be a right tackle which was a need for this Bears football team if he catches on quickly just another opportunity to give Justin Fields more time to go through his progressions and get that ball to the right wide receiver or hopefully that pretty good tight end from Notre Dame Cole Komet, but Darnell Wright, exactly what the Bears needed, taking care of the right side of their offensive line. Finally, Coach Eberflus today, before rookie camp got underway, spent a little time discussing the defense. Of course, he was a defensive coordinator in Indianapolis. The Bears, very early in the draft, took some defensive players to fit their system. They went hard after some defensive linemen. Florida's Jervon Dexter, 6'6", 310. He'll eat up some space in the interior. Second round pick, number 53. In the third round pick, number 64, another guy that can eat some space. South Carolina defensive tackle, Zach Pickens. Third round, number 64 overall. He can play both defensive tackle spots in Eberflus's system. Then late in the draft, another Defensive tackle, Kennesaw State's Travis Bell, seventh round, number 218. And I'll throw in another guy. He's not up front, but this was an important pick. The Bears believe they found a starting cornerback with their 56th overall pick in the second round from Miami, Tyreek Stevenson. He should be, if all goes well, paired with Jalen Johnson, and they would be your starting corners for the Bears this fall. Here's Eberflus on if it was easier drafting this year to his system as Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus working together on their second draft. 
I think that, you know, when you have a year under your belt, you know, Ryan and I have a year under our belt, we got a chance to evaluate the roster and where it was and then what we did to the roster going into free agency, you know, and then building building it back up through free agency and now building up another year of the draft. I think it's uh, we're, we're more in line just because of the year and experience together, but we had a lot of pieces to fill, you know, and I think that was uh, it was it was very very cool that it was the second year because we got a chance to lay the culture. And it just happened to be that way, right? But uh, and we worked it out through through the free agency and the draft, and it was exciting. But to answer your question, you know, with in terms of the we're right on point with who we want to add and how we want the players and, and what they look like, you know, what they do skill set wise. Well, the Bears took at least on paper, a major step forward in their rebuild during this draft. Ryan Poles knew what he needed and did a pretty good job of filling those spots. The biggest decision that he had to make first, is he going to go with the guy that he inherited at quarterback, Justin Fields, or was he going to trade Fields, keep the number one pick, then pick a new quarterback, and then add more draft capital by getting rid of Fields. He believes in Justin Fields. He stuck with him. He got him a right tackle. There needed to be an upgrade at right tackle. Job well done there if, in fact, that the offensive tackle from Tennessee right plays up to expectations. The defensive line had some major holes in it in the interior and, heck, on the edge. They only had seven and a half sacks combined as a defensive line last year. That is a recipe for picking very early in the draft. So Poles seems to be off to a good start. We'll see how they look this fall. We'll see the tweaks to the offense. Getsy another year working with Justin Fields, and Fields still needs to work on the mechanics. Another offseason doing so. Can't wait to see. It's a changing of the guard, it appears at least, in the NFC North. Maybe the Packers are down one year and bounce back this year with love at quarterback, but... The Lions are the hot name right now in the NFL. Are they the team to beat? Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, do they have another run in them? They won so many close games last year. It just feels like the worm's going to turn and all those come-from-behind tight victories. I don't want to say lucky. That's not the right word. You earn those victories, but it just feels like you go to the well too many times. It's eventually not going to start going your way. We'll see how the Vikings handle things in 2023. And our final hat trick of opening topics for this Friday evening. Spend just a second on Chicago Cubs catcher Miguel Amaya. He had the opportunity to make his Major League debut in Washington, D.C. yesterday as the backstop for the Chicago Cubs went 0-2 with a sack fly. Picked up an RBI. He's in the big leagues because veteran catcher Jan Gomes suffered a concussion, and he is currently on the concussion injured list. Amaya has been a darling of the Cubs system for a good amount of time. He's now 25 years old. Wow, that is hard to believe. He was here in South Bend in 2018 as a 19-year-old. Got to know him then. Was a wonderful kid to be around. Positive, happy Loved the game offensively. You saw him at 19 do pretty well in the Midwest League. In fact, in 414 at-bats with South Bend, hit 256, but the on-base 349 thanks to 50 walks. He had 12 homers and 52 RBI 
as a 19-year-old in the Midwest League. Had the strong arm. Defensively, he was in pretty good shape at that age, moving up the Chicago Cubs chain. A lot of injuries slowed down his progress. You wondered, would he be able to bounce back and still be a part of the Cubs' future? Well, when the Cubs let P.J. Higgins walk after last season, it seemed like the Cubs were very confident in Amaya making it to the majors and being a contributor. Now, the Cubs right now are patching together the catching position at the major league level with a couple of veterans, Gomes and Tucker Barnhart, who is a wonderful defensive catcher. If you could get your hands on catching defensive metrics, Tucker Barnhart is one of the best in Major League Baseball, framing pitches, stealing strikes, great at blocking the baseball, pretty good throwing the ball as well. For me, I don't have to have a great offensive catcher. I want a guy that handles the pitching staff, is strong defensively, controls the running game. I don't care if he hits 230. Give me that catcher that handles my staff and the defensive parts of the game, and I'm going to be thrilled. Amaya could factor in more with the Cubs. We'll see how long they stick with Barnhart and Gomes. Gomes offensively has had some big hits so far this year. But Amaya is a young guy that, at the very least, is going to fill a role as a backup catcher for the Chicago Cubs. I believe he can be an everyday starting catcher. I think he can hit enough. He's going to walk a lot. His on-base percentage is always going to be pretty good. He's got a good understanding of the strike zone. We'll see how much he hits. He was handling things pretty well at AAA Iowa this year as he was hitting 273 before his call-up at the on-base 411. There you go. He had hit four long balls. Uh, let me correct myself. He has never been to AAA. Amaya, he has never been there. He was at AA Tennessee, hitting 273 with a 411 on base, four homers with the Smokies, and eight knocked in. Amaya was someone I had a really good relationship with. He was one of those guys from Panama that I always appreciated when I would speak Spanish and calling a home run with the South Bend Cubs, the adios call. Aloy Jimenez, Chris Morell, and Amaya were the three that always would walk by me and just scream, adios, and be smiling, shake my hand, having fun. Amaya had a wonderful personality. During COVID, he came back to South Bend. Of course, you couldn't talk to anybody then. But sitting in the stands watching BP gave the old wave and the tip of the cap. Just a, a young man I appreciated, and I'm really glad to see he got to the bigs. Hit two rockets today, including one to third, both were caught, so he's still looking for that first major league hit, but he got on base today with a hit-by-pitch. Go get him. Miguel Amaya, a South Bend Cub alum in 2018. That is our hat trick of opening topics for tonight. Isaiah Foskey on being a New Orleans Saint. Chicago Bears rookie camp underway with second-year head coach Matt Eberflus and the arrival of Miguel Amaya in the bigs. Coming up next... Notre Dame, number 13 in the country in a post-spring football ranking. Does that make sense? We'll go through some of the Notre Dame roster to see if they might be the number 13 of the country. We'll do that in a moment on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
It is now 18 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Sportsbeat continues on 960 AM WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you. ESPN power rankings for college football teams post-spring practice. They have the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame ranked number 13 in the country. Are they worthy of that type of ranking? Let's just go position by position. We'll have a little fun and decide if that position can be a part of a team ranked number 13 in the country. We will start on the offensive side of the football. At quarterback, you've got the grad transfer from Wake Forest, Sam Hartman. Yes, definitely. You've got a quarterback that can lead you to big things this year. And he gave us a little sample with his accuracy and decision-making in the blue goal game. Plus, go back and look at his tape from Wake Forest. Can the wide receiving core be a part of a number 13 ranked team? I'm projecting here, but I'm going to say yes. You've got a good mix of young and old. Plus, we just talked about the quarterback who can make everyone better. So I'm going yes. Tight end position to be determined. Not enough information as of yet. Let's see everybody get healthy. And also, let's get an understanding how Coach Parker is going to use the tight ends and who he's going to use. So not enough information to give you a good answer at tight end. Same with the offensive line. Hey, the tackles are top 13 in the country worthy. They are outstanding. Not sure Notre Dame would trade their tackles for anybody else's in college football. But we still don't know who the starting offensive guards are yet. So information out there that we need to find out before coming to a conclusion. Notre Dame number 13 in the country in ESPN's power rankings post-spring practice. What about the running back core? Could they help be a part of a number 13 ranked team? Absolutely. Even without Logan Diggs, this room has a chance to be explosive. They have a chance to grind out ball games. You have the lead in the fourth quarter. Give it to old Audric Estime, and he's a guy that can just wind down the clock with his power. So plenty of talent. Even with Diggs gone, I am totally confident in that running back room. Now let's go to the defensive side of the football. Could the defensive line be worthy of being on a number 13 ranked team? Right now, no. And the only reason I'm saying no is mainly the pass rush. Where is that going to come from? Is Jordan Patello going to be able to consistently get after the quarterback all the new weapons the number two players on the depth chart along the front what are they going to be able to do I just have some questions yet I mentioned earlier that group impressed me a lot better than I thought they were going to be based on their spring performance but they're still let's see it in game time so I'm a little hesitant to go all in at this point linebacking core I'm going to say maybe you know what you have, Kaiser, Bertrand, Leofau. You're going to get solid play. Can you get game-changing play? I'll tell you what, Bertrand looked like he had another gear this spring, his ability to go sideline to sideline. You've got other parts that you can use from this linebacking core, from some of the young guys that can make a major difference on this defense. So I'm leaning toward yes, 
going to be a little conservative right now and say maybe. Can the cornerbacks be a part of a number 13 ranked team? Absolutely. Love Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart. I think that's a terrific combination. We still haven't had a chance to see all that Thomas Harper can do. The transfer from Oklahoma State listed as a safety, probably a guy that will spend some time at the nickel spot. Safety, I'm kind of in the maybe category. Watson Brown, confident. Henderson, solid backup. If there are injuries, that's when things drastically change. And we are waiting to see if Notre Dame is going to add a safety from the transfer portal. So we look at the rankings. Notre Dame number 13 in the country. There's quite a few yeses on the board. Just one no, a couple of maybes, and two that were to be determined. Tight end and offensive line. When you got a quarterback, can cover up a lot of weaknesses elsewhere on the football team, and they've got one in number 10. 547 is our time. We'll come back with our Twitter question of the day next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 551 at WSBT. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Yesterday's Twitter question of the day, which was available to vote on on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. The college football 12-team playoff will feature a bracket-style tournament just like the NCAA basketball tournament. Which would you rather see? That format, the bracket style like March Madness, or would you like to see what the NFL does in their playoffs? You reseed after each round. So what do you think? Bracket style or reseed? Well, 62.5% who voted said they prefer, like we see in the NCAA tournament, bracket style. So if there's a major upset, it does not change the pairings for the quarterfinals or the semifinals. Reseeding like the NFL got 37.5% of the vote. I personally like reseeding. If Georgia, for example, would have been the number one seed last fall in a 12-team tournament, they should have faced the worst team of the eight that can play in the quarterfinals. I kind of like it that way. Make the regular season mean a little bit more. Getting the number one seed means you face, maybe, if ranked properly, the worst team in the field. But Majority says they like the bracket style, which might be good for some bracket pools like we have in college basketball, except in a 12-team playoff. We thank you for voting. Today's question, which has been up since earlier today, how would you describe your interest in Notre Dame baseball? Your four choices, I'm a big fan of Irish baseball. I would be a bigger fan if I could hear games on the radio. Another choice, I check the scores. The fourth choice, I do not follow at all. So what is your interest level in Notre Dame baseball? You can vote right now on my Twitter account at 
960 Sports Pete. We'll have the results on Monday's program. Also on Monday, a brand new question. Okay, 5.54 is our time. We'll take a timeout. We've got a sports update coming up in a moment. We'll recap a Cub victory this afternoon at Wrigley Field, including the Major League debut of first baseman Matt Mervis. After the sports update, we'll talk some Chicago Cubs and South Bend Cubs baseball with South Bend broadcaster Brendan King. We'll wrap up the program with Ask Sports Beat, brought to you by Wings, etc., and also a little sizzler, 554 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, they already did. They beat the Marlins today at Wrigley Field 4-1. to Former South Bend Cub Justin Steele is just absolutely fantastic. The best ERA in Major League Baseball since the All-Star break last year. It's below 140 at this particular time. Steele today, seven innings, one run allowed, and he picks up the victory as the Cubbies beat the Marlins by a score of Four to one. Well, let's head out to Four Winds Field. South Bend Cub broadcaster Brendan King joins me for a little Cub conversation here on WSBT Radio. BK, it's good to be with you, and I'm sure you're enjoying having short sleeves on for the first time probably Ooh. in a while. First time in about two and a half weeks because we had that crazy run of 80-degree weather in the first homestand of the year, and that was such a tease, and you know how it goes, because we were gifted after the 80-degree weather with a mid-April trip to Midland, Michigan, and uh, it was snowing a couple days. So we, we, had the, we had the highs, we had the lows, but this is absolutely perfect and uh, likely a massive crowd at Four Winds Field tonight. From what I heard, they were up to 6,000 tickets sold at about midday. So uh, who knows what the walk-up's going to be. Well, that is fantastic. Fans are eager to get outside and enjoy everything that happens at Four Winds Field. That's great to hear. And, of course, the game on WSBT Radio tonight, pregame at 645. Uh, Let me just start with Hayden McGreary. He was a guy that started the year with the South Bend Cubs. I remember talking to Lance Rimel, the manager on opening night at Four Winds Field, and just talking about how McGeary gashes the baseball. I remember watching batting practice that night. He got a batting practice fastball in the hands, and he hit it over the left field seat. So I'm like, okay, he's country strong. Well, he hit 368 with South Bend, three homers, 13 RBI in 20 games, and BK, he is off to Tennessee rather quickly. What do the Cubs have in McGreary? A big power-hitting right-handed bat that probably doesn't know how strong he is yet because he's only been in pro ball for about half a season, Darren, because when he was in Division II, they got him from Division II Colorado Mesa, 15th-round pick, and if any Cubs draft nerds are out there, (laughs) 15th-round picks have been pretty darn good. David Bodie, Jared Young, B.J. Murray, who won a Midwest League title last year, uh, and now Hayden McGeary, and... Darren actually flipping through the stat sheet today, getting ready for today's game. McGeary has not played a Midwest League game for about a week. He's still leading the league in hits, on-base percentage, <laughs> slugging, OPS, you name it. I mean, he he is just terrorizing pitching. It, it really has been something to watch. And we've talked about Matt Mervis, and I'm sure we'll talk about mm-hmm. him here, but Merv did what he did last year starting the season in South Bend, and I have this number written down. 
Merv played 27 games in South Bend last year. It took him 27 games to get called up, yet he hit 350. McGeary was batting 380-plus, most of the time 400. It took him two weeks to get called up. So you, you can compare it to a Mervis-type start, but Darren, Matt Mervis did not even start this hot last year. McGeary's in his own area, and that's the crazy part about it. Is the one negative BK position flexibility? That could be, but... He had some great teachers here in South Bend. D'Angelo Jimenez is South Bend's bench coach. Of course, former big leaguer, won a World Series with the Yankees. And every single day, McGeary was on the field, early work with DJ, Hmm. working on backhanded stabs at first. So converted catcher. And actually, most of the time in college, Darren, he was a DH. He didn't even play in the field. So it's going to take a little time. But he's got some great teachers. And now he's going up to double-A where Michael Ryan is their manager and um, you know, some good coaching there, too. And then Marty Peavy is the manager at AAA when he gets there. And Peavy, just like our guy Buddy Bailey, is a student and teacher of the game and uh, excited about his future, no doubt. Hey, if they they will find a place for you if you hit like the way that, <laughs> that Hayden has yeah. so far this year. There's always a spotlight on Kevin Alcantara, the young outfielder with the South Bend Cubs. When you see prospect lists, he's in the top five. So there's a lot of expectations on this young guy. And BK, it sounds like he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but now finding his footing. Which is typical, I think, in the Midwest League, and you know that too, DP. It's tough to hit. It's cold. When it's, it's tough to hit when it's 35 degrees and the wind's blowing in in Midland. It's just not going to happen. Yet, we have had some nice days, and Alcantara, the three balls he's hit out of the yard, they've each been rockets. Um, he's got 13 ribbies. He was hitting 400 last week at the time. He's leading off again today after an off day yesterday. But I think, Darren, what excites me most about Kevin Alcantara is just he's still so raw. Six foot six, he's still skinny. There's a ton of muscle to put on. You know, for, for comparison, PCA last year when he was in South Bend, PCA is about as ready of a big league prospect as I've seen. He's the best player I've ever covered. Hmm. But Alcantara, you can see just how talented he is, similar to a PCA, but there's still so much room to grow. I, I think PCA right now could go to the big leagues and play center field. Now, the bat, you know, that's a different type of story. It's going to take some time. Kevin Alcantara still needs a little bit of development, but you can see the raw talent in him, which should excite Cubs fans because that you got for your franchise centerpiece in Anthony Rizzo. I mean, they hit a home run with that trade, no doubt. Hmm. If Pete Crow Armstrong hits, you're right. He's going to be the Cubs' everyday center fielder down the line. So let's just say hypothetically he's yeah. the center fielder in Chicago. Can Kevin play right field? Does he have the arm strength, or is he more of a left fielder? I think, he, I think he does have the arm strength. Okay. I mean, he's made a couple spectacular plays just this week in the gaps, tracking things down with those long legs, sliding plays. I mean, he really he doesn't run. He gallops. It's like a racehorse in the Kentucky Derby. It really is. <laughs> the guy is just lean and raw. And when he puts some muscle on, and look, you've got a great problem that this guy's six foot six. Maybe you start to teach him first base. Well, then what happens to Matt Mervis? That's a great problem to have if Alcantara, if PCA is your center fielder, Alcantara competes for time and right, and then maybe someday if he learns first, you can split him at DH slash first base someday. Before we leave the offense, has anyone caught your attention that might be a tad bit under the radar coming into the season? Scott McKeon right now, Darren, he's hitting 345 over 420 in his last five games. Now, Scott McKeon, Darren, undrafted free agent out of Coastal Carolina. He played last year at every single level. Um, and it was more so a filling guy. But in September, he went to AAA Iowa and hit 380. 380 at AAA to end the year when he was hitting in the 100s 
at South Bend. Uh, he just wow. caught fire, and he has taken that approach now to start this year that he had at AAA, what he learned, and he's off to an insane start. Um, he could very well be the next Midwest League Player of the Week. He's barreling baseballs. He's back hitting second today. And it's really just that approach and confidence that he got at AAA that has led him to this point and having success at high A. Kind of a David Bodie comparison, Darren, because you know the story about Bodie. Sure. He, he was about to go. There was not a spot for him. He was playing twice a week. That's what happened to McKeon last year, and now he's an everyday player in South Bend. Mm. Brendan King, one of the voices of the South Bend Cubs, joining me here on WSBT Radio. South Bend 14-10 of the season. They'll take on Cedar Rapids tonight at 7.05 here on WSBT Radio. Let me ask about someone that I've had on the program a couple of times, including right when COVID hit, he was supposed to be the opening day starter for South Bend as a mm -hmm. low A affiliate in 2020. Cole Franklin yeah. dealt with some injuries and now back in South Bend. He's pitched four times so far this year. What type of stuff have you seen from a guy that has some high expectations in the system? Exceptional stuff. And I think the expectations, Darren, for Cole Franklin from himself – are on the same lines as what the Chicago Cubs expect from him. Uh, this is a guy that missed 953 straight days of baseball, wow. either due to injury or COVID. I know you talked with him last year, I believe, and he's actually going yep. tonight here on WSBT Radio as well. The game's going to be on Marquee Sports Network, which is exciting. But look, Darren, Cole came back this year with a brand-new slider. He's paired that with the high 90s fastball, 12-6 curve, and a vanishing changeup, which – Darren, I'd say the changeup is turning into a second-best pitch. It's hmm. been lethal this year. And the ERA, you may see it currently sitting at 3.52. Every earned run he has given up this year, Darren, came in one inning. Two weeks ago at Great Lakes, throws three perfect innings to start the game. Uh, first nine sent down in order, and then runs into trouble, gives up a couple homers in the fourth. Pitch count is hit. He has to come out. So uh, all six earned runs, Darren, that he has uh, was from one inning. And quite frankly, the pitch that was ended up being a grand slam it was a great change up knee high that you just got to give credit to the hitter he, he got it out and uh it was a tough break for cole but i think his stuff it continues to develop into starter mlb type area stuff and um you know, there's there's not a guy i'm rooting for more than cole franklin because we both know him personally and he's an unreal kid well, the Chicago Cubs made a call today that many fans have been hoping for for several <laughs> weeks, and Matt yeah. Mervis coming up from AAA Iowa mm -hmm. to start at first base for the Chicago Cubs. Manager David Ross said today he's coming up to play. He's not coming up to sit, and you're going to see Eric Hosmer now as a bench player for the Chicago Cubs. You were around him for 27 games in South Bend last year. Two-part question. Number one, how much buzz was there about Mervis before he played his first game with South Bend? And how would you describe to Cub fans what Cub fans are going to see now with Mervis at first base and a left-handed bat in that Cub lineup? Darren, I'd love to say there was buzz, but <laughs> this is no disrespect to Matt Mervis. There was none. Uh, he was a first baseman that hit 211 his previous year in Myrtle Beach and was undrafted. Um, we, we got Matt Mervis, and he... I look back at the game that really started Merv Sanity. That's kind of what I've called it. It was a game in Fort Wayne, Darren, on Easter weekend. He had a two-run uh, bases-clearing three-run double off a really good lefty named Noel Vela from Fort Wayne. It went to the wall, and talking with Merv at Cubs convention this past year, he said that's the swing that started everything. And looking back at that game, he was batting seventh that day. Seventh. 
in, in a high A order, and that's where he started last year. So the the first answer to your question is, uh, quite frankly, none. Uh, but the second answer to your question is, this is a guy that is as meticulous as a baseball mm. player as I've ever seen. You may have seen, if you were watching the Cubs game today, those listening, mm-hmm. Merv struck out his first at-bat, went back to the dugout, hops on the iPad, which is typical, but he sat there on the iPad. They kept the camera shot. He was sitting there for the rest of the half inning, breaking down what he saw from big league pitching. He grounds out the next time, of course, comes up in that last A-B and just swats one in the right center. So as meticulous, as studious, and as smart as a ball player I've seen, um, from the left side, he's got that power. And Sheffield Avenue, Darren, it's going to be seeing a lot of baseballs coming up in the next period of time for sure. And let me also ask you about a player that we saw in South Bend in 2018, Miguel Amaya. I was Mm -hmm. stunned today when I did a little research. He's only 25 years old, which means he was 19 here in South Bend and had a great on-base percentage. He showed power as a 19-year-old. Injuries really slowed down his progress. But when the Cubs did not bring back P.J. Higgins after last season, I know they brought in Barnhart and they had Gomes, but it sure seemed like if anything happened, they were now comfortable that Amaya could handle Major League Pitching and also a pitching staff. Uh, Take me through your thoughts on Amaya overcoming some injuries, and now he's at the point he looks like a guy, by the way he's swinging the bat, can be an everyday contributor behind the plate if the Cubs need him right now. Yeah, and I heard you talking about him too earlier. He really should have a base hit by now. You know, he has an RBI from that sack fly, but with how hard he's been hitting the ball, he should have a knock. So that luck will come around for sure. But, man, I I think back to 2018. That was my first year here working with you. Um, I was 23 at the time and, uh, you know, (laughs) kind of a nervous guy just walking into the booth. Miguel Amaya makes you just feel like you're the most important person in the world when you talk to him. And and that was as a 19-year-old, like you said. I mean, that year he caught you Darvish twice. He caught he caught Drew Smiley, who of course is now his big league teammate. Um, I, I just think the world of Miguel Amaya. It was awesome to see his parents in the stand today. That came from Panama. They were here a few times, of course. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I I saw you tweet about your BP story about throwing him BP fastballs and, <laughs> and taking you deep. So, yeah, I mean, all the memories about a Miguel Amaya are just strong, but. I'm glad that the injury bug finally gave way and he was able to get some just healthy hacks at spring training because that's what set up our moment here, the fact that he's at Wrigley Field right now. So, um, you know, I'm with you too. I heard you earlier. The, if he ends up being a backup, you know, so be it. Yeah. But he's a, with the kind of worker he is, he's not going to settle for being a backup. No. And as you said, he's only 25, so the, you know, the ceiling is the roof. Going with a Chicago quote right, right there in Michael Jordan. I'm so excited about the future of Miguel Amaya. You can hear BK and Max Toma on WSBT Radio tonight. Pre-game at 645. First pitch 705 Cedar Rapids at South Bend. BK, have a great call tonight. Appreciate your conversation on the great game of baseball. And when South Bend's back in town, we'll do it again. Thanks, DP. We'll talk soon. All right, take care. All right, see you. That is Brendan King, one of the voices of the South Bend Cubs, joining me here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. South Bend off to a 14-10 and 10 start. You know, this is a team that could get a whole lot better as the season goes on. Just based on my time around the Cubs organization, I think Alcantara, the young outfielder, he is going to 
spend a little time here in South Bend. I don't think they're going to rush him. They have so many young outfield prospects that are knocking on the door. Heck, you look at Nelson Velasquez, who when he comes to the plate with the Cubs, he seems to always produce this year. He's not getting significant playing time right now. So there is no rush for Alcantara. Cassie, Crow Armstrong are a little higher up the chain, and they are growing them. So I think we will see Alcantara for a good portion of this year. Normally, the young Cub prospects, when we were a low-A affiliate, stayed the entire year until the playoffs ended. Then they got pushed up like Aloy Jimenez when we got knocked out of the playoffs, went to Myrtle Beach and helped them win a high-A league championship. But I think Alcantara is going to be here a while. And don't be surprised if the Cubs do not get a big-time addition to their rotation. The first-round pick out of Oklahoma last year, Cade Horton, he is putting up some very impressive numbers in four starts at low-A Myrtle Beach, the ERA at 1.26. First-round pick, I think he's 20 years old. So he's probably a guy the Cubs might push more than some of their young position players. I would not be surprised if Horton is in South Bend by July, and that might be on the far end of the spectrum. It could be in the next couple of weeks. I think with the way the Cubs are building their roster right now, you would think next year is a go year for the Cubs, and maybe Horton could be ready by the middle of next year. His stuff looks really, really good. I'd like to change up. I've seen him throw in some of these video clips on Twitter. So keep Kate Horton in mind. He might spend a good chunk of his first full season of pro baseball here in South Bend, in particular if he continues to throw the ball like he is right now with the Pelicans down in Myrtle Beach. Your first-round pick, you're going to get moved quickly if you're getting the job done. All right, 622 is our time. Sports Speed brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers. Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. Barnaby's of Mishawak and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's the family in. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. Ask Sports Speed presented by... Wings, etc. Coming up next on WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Final segment for Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Friday evening. Hope you have a terrific weekend. We'll be back on Monday, of course, another Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. On 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com, the WSBT radio app. It is time for Ask Sports Beat, presented by Wings Etc. At stake, a couple of $50 gift cards from Wings Etc. From all the individuals who wrote in questions to me on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat, I've grabbed five of those, and two of the five will win $50 gift cards from Wings, etc. All right, here we go. Question number one from Gene. What part of the Notre Dame team do you feel better about after spring football, and which is more of a concern? Well, Gene, first off, what I feel better about is the Fighting Irish defensive line. I'm not going to say it's a strength of the football team right now, 
but I thought it was a weakness coming into the spring. But based on some of the performances we saw this spring, including in the blue goal game, the coaches talking about players, you see some players on the rise that have been deeper down the depth chart the last couple of years, now making their moves like a Jason Onye, really impressed. You expected Howard Cross to be good, Riley Mills to be good, but you're seeing some developing players, which makes me feel better about the defensive line. Which is more of a concern? I don't know if there's an area of the team where I feel worse about now. I still think depth at safety is a major concern. We'll see if they add someone from the portal. And I think right now we have to just keep an eye on this fall, the development of Steve Angeli as the team's number two quarterback. Next up, a question from John. Ask Sportsbeat, presented by Wings, etc. What is the best story you can tell from your time with the South Bend Cubs? Well, the one that comes to mind, now I'm not going to use the player's name. I'm going to keep that private. But during my time with the South Bend Cubs, there was a player who is now in the majors that struck out to end an inning, went into the dugout, and never came back out to the field. And from what I was told, that he, from there, went in the locker room, took off his stuff, and wasn't heard from from a couple of days. And all, all of a sudden, one day I was down by the clubhouse. He was sitting by the clubhouse door. He was back. And that's the basis of the story that I'll tell. And, again, he's in the majors now, so I guess it turned out okay. So, John, I hope that fits the bill for what you were looking for. Number three, Ask Sports Beat, brought to you by Wings, etc. Bobby has a couple of questions, so let's go through them. Percentage I give Notre Dame winning the national championship in football. Boy, oh boy, that's a loaded question. Even the best teams in the country are under 10% just because the amount of teams at this stage that could win it. I mean, maybe 3%, I would say, at this particular time. He also asked, do you think Sam Hartman can win the Heisman? How about a percentage for that? I mean, he could. He plays at a program that plays marquee games every week. All the games, of course, nationally on NBC. The road games are normally available to everybody. So he has every opportunity to be seen. And you've got marquee games on the schedule to make a splash. Ohio State, Clemson, USC. So, yeah, there's a chance Again, I would probably put it under 5% at this time. But, yeah, quarterback at Notre Dame should always have a chance to win the Heisman, although Notre Dame has not recruited that way the last 10 years. What concerns me about Notre Dame heading into the season? I mean, defensive line depth, safety depth, I've kind of touched on that. And also, Bobby wants to know, what's a wild or funny story you can share from working at Camel X during Cardinal broadcasts or Notre Dame broadcast. I'll just stick with my time being in the Cardinal booth for two years in 94 and 95. A couple of things come to mind. First off, I remember I went down specifically to a visitor's locker room once just to hear two players speak, two guys that were headed to the Hall of Fame, and that was the Astros, Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell. I just stood there and listened to their media session. Otherwise, Andy Bennis, a starting pitcher for the Cardinals, 
he came down to be the star of the game. And one of my responsibilities when the game was over, be down in the locker room where the star of the game interview took place, have the microphone ready. And so when Andy Bennis walked in, he started a conversation, want to know if I wanted a beer. I said no, I was working. But we chatted for five or six minutes until Mike Shannon came in to do the Star of the Game interview. But it was just a pleasant experience, just him and I chatting, a major leaguer chatting with a young kid. Didn't have to do that, but it was a pretty special moment. Two other things come to mind. The legendary Jack Buck. It was a time that the Cardinals weren't the greatest when I was there. And it were there was an inning that was very long. The opposing team was putting up run after run. And the Cardinals made a pitching change. And Jack Buck, who was doing the play-by-play, just walked out of the booth and never came back. I think he had had it. He was a big fan. He loved the Cardinals and winning and losing – It was emotional for him, and I think he had just had enough of how bad they were, and he walked away, and I can't remember if it was Mike Shannon or Joe Buck who finished out the inning, but he didn't come back, and I think this is one that Cub fans can understand, but there was a day in the pregame where I was standing in the two-tier Cardinal booth before a Cub-Cardinal game, and I was told when Harry comes in, Harry Carey, It's his room. Don't bother him. Don't talk to him. If he comes up to you, speak to him, help him, however you can, because that was my job. But otherwise, he's the guy. He's in charge. Okay, so I never bothered him. And I was standing in the top tier by the door, and here comes Harry waltzing in. He and Jack Buck did Cardinal baseball games forever back in the 50s and 60s, and they're like three feet behind me. And Jack and Harry just start telling Dirty joke after dirty joke. Now, I just kept looking straight ahead. I never laughed. I never made a motion because I didn't want to ruin it. I didn't want them to think I was eavesdropping on them. But it might have been the coolest three or four minutes of my broadcast career. Two legends just cackling, you know, Harry. (laughs) And Jack had a great sense of humor. That was really, really cool. All right. Ask Sportsbee, brought to you by Wings, etc. Sally wants to know, what sport do I enjoy broadcasting the most and why, and what is the most difficult? I love baseball and hockey evenly. I don't know if I could really choose one. In terms of what is the most difficult, by far, baseball. I get asked that a lot. People think it's hockey. But in hockey, the most important thing is learn the names and numbers. And the second most important thing is figure out any way possible how to differently say the word pass. Because you can say pass a million times in a game. you got to figure out different ways to say the same word pass. Knife, slap, poke, punch. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Doc Emmerich was the greatest of all time. He never said the word pass. I don't know how he did it, but he was absolutely remarkable. So baseball is the most difficult because there's only three minutes of action in a three-hour game. The rest is telling stories and giving information, passing along stats, just filling the time until something happens. Finally, Bob wants to know, what are your expectations for Notre Dame basketball each year? To me, Bob, it's pretty simple. Try to finish in the top half of their league, make the NCAA tournament, and every once in a while, every couple of years, make a big run in the NCAA tournament. That's it for me. Final fours, championship, those type of things, if they happen, great. But if you do the foundation pieces I'm talking about, 
eventually, if you get hot, you might have that opportunity. All right, so thanks for the questions, Gene, John, Bobby, Sally, and Bob. And we drew two names before this segment started for $50 gift cards from Wings, etc. We're going to hand them out to John and Bobby. Congratulations. I'll be in touch to get you a $50 gift card from Wings, etc. That sounds pretty good this weekend. We'll wrap things up with a little sports wagering talk. Show me the money. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. Our sports wagering segment, we go into Sizzler. Things have been going very, very well as of late. Starting last Thursday, we've been on a bit of a heater. We have not had an under 500 day since the middle of last week. And we kept it going last night. Let's recap the numbers from last night. We start with the NBA and a trend I told you about. The home team that loses game one, game two at home, they're 19-2 and two against the spread. Well, the Warriors lost game one, so I followed the trend and took the Warriors minus six against the Lakers at minus 110. You bet 10, you win 19-09. And the Warriors kept the trend alive. They beat the Lakers by 27, 127 to 100. Selection number two from Major League Baseball at Fenway Park. I took the Blue Jays minus a half a run in the first five innings against Boston at minus 130. Not a good choice. The Red Sox, after five, led eight to four. But we bounce back. Stanley Cup playoffs. Maple Leafs. Panthers. I took the Panthers plus one and a half goals at Toronto at minus 140. You bet 10. You win 17-14. You know what? Keep the goals. Didn't need them. Panthers down 2-0. Rallied to win 3-2. That was a winning suggestion. And finally, my fourth suggestion was for this afternoon at Wrigley Field, Cubs and Marlins. You always back Justin Steele, folks. He's turning out to be one of the best pitchers in the National League. I took the Cubs today on the money line against the Marlins. Not a lot of money at stake. Minus 150, you bet 10. You win 16-66. We'll take that cash. Cubbies won today by a score of 4-1. to one. So 3-1 and one last night. For the week and the month, we are 11-4-1. And, and for the year, 130-107-3. How about suggestions for tonight? We will begin with a two-team parlay. From Major League Baseball, we'll start with the Phillies at home against the Red Sox. Zach Wheeler against Chris Sale. I like the Phillies in this matchup. Alone, it's minus 155. But let's take the Phillies on the money line and bring in the Blue Jays on the money line at Pittsburgh, which is minus 145. You combine the two, the parlay is plus 177. Phillies, Blue Jays, you bet 10, you win 27.79. Suggestion number two. We're going to follow a couple of more trends. Since 2005, the team losing the first two games on the road, they come home for game three, and in the first half against the spread, that team has covered the spread in the first half 63% of the time. So because of that number, the next two will be 76ers, Plus one at home in the first half against the Celtics at minus 110. You bet 10, you win 19.09. Let's follow that up with the Phoenix Suns at home. 
minus three in the first half against the Denver Nuggets at minus 110. You bet 10, you win 1909. Let's hope that trend continues in the two matchups tonight. And finally, from the NHL, I'm going to continue to go with the Hurricanes on home ice. It's been a good place to be in the wagering game the last two years. Hurricanes won 5-1 in game one. Tonight, the Canes on the money line against New Jersey at minus 115. You bet 10, you win 18.69. And that's our sports wagering segment for tonight. That's going to wrap up Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Bethel University, adult and graduate studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com, on the free WSBT Radio app, and on the Twitch app. The Golf Show, presented by Michelob Ultra, comes your way tomorrow morning at 8 AM here on WSBT Radio. And I will talk to you once again Monday, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.